0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Unveiling Mormonism podcast from Pursue God. I'm Brian, that's Ross over there. Ross, today we're going to be in, what is it, week number four in our What Mormons Believe series, and today we're going to talk about what Mormons believe about salvation. And before we talk about what the LDS people believe and compare it to biblical, evangelical Christianity, maybe we need to zoom out and say, is this like a... Concept in most religions, this concept of salvation, and what what really is that?
1: Yeah, totally. It, it every every religious movement and even many non-religious movements are trying to answer this question because ultimately it boils down to uh, what is the human dilemma, what's the problem that humanity lives in and faces, and you know, and people will define that in different ways. Well, then the next question to ask is then what's the answer mm-hmm. to that problem, to the human problem? So in religious uh, systems tend to uh, define the problem in relationship to a human being's relationship to to god or deity or whatever is lies beyond right Mm -hmm. and so um yeah every every group has some answer to that question um how do i set things right with respect to this deity how could i be right with god to know him to be forgiven it's framed in a lot of different ways, and Mormonism has their own unique answer to that.
0: Yeah, and this is why this is why this is fourth and not third in the sequence for us, because it, it makes sense for us from a biblical point of view, Ross, it makes sense to talk about humanity first, which we did last time, that, that because for, I guess let's just kind of jump to the biblical thing real quick just to give mm-hmm. context for people who don't maybe understand a biblical perspective on this. Biblically... The problem is human beings. the problem is something right. we call sin and right. and so w- you know we have a sin problem and and Jesus is a solution for that and so when we talk about salvation, we'll get into this a little bit more at the end but when we talk about salvation biblically, we're talking about being saved from from sins, from the sin problem right, right. and the consequences of the sin problem right yeah. right yeah. and of course for for Christians, Jesus is the is the solution. And again, I'll, at the end of this, we'll talk about this, but I think it's important to say this at the beginning, so as people listen to this podcast, they can really try to wrap their mind around a, a, the LDS perspective mm-hmm. and how different, right. how vastly different the LDS right. perspective is. But but people who maybe don't really know the Bible might not understand the difference. In fact, I think a lot of Mormons come across as Christians, and a, a lot of people become Mormons, thinking it, Mormonism is just another... Christian denomination. But but we've been learning in this series that that's really not the case. Yeah, the worldviews are really different, even though the terminology is similar. Okay, so let's, let's start with this. From the Mormon perspective, Mormons believe that there are two kinds of salvation. So for Christians, there's only one kind. And again, we'll get more clear on that. But for Mormons, they believe in two different things. So immortality... and and exaltation, okay? So let's unpack those two. Yeah,
1: first of all, this is one of the challenges in talking about salvation to Latter-day Saints, is because their words mean something very specific, and and typically when Christians from the Bible are talking about salvation, there's a lot of different words that come into play that describe aspects of salvation, um, you know, deliverance, justification, and many, many other words. These particular words are a little more specific and used in a specific way in the LDS worldview than, than probably they would be used by us. And so when, when when we when they use those words, it's easy to assume agreement or to think we know what they're talking about. And and so we could be talking around each other mm-hmm. and understanding how they would um, interpret a certain verse of the Bible or whatever
0: in light of this framework. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's so for a let's start with that first part of this, right? So so again for for a Mormon salvation is is broad and that is immortality, right? So that's the first part is a Mormon typically would believe that immortality is general, it's unconditional in other words that resurrection happens to some level of heaven that everyone essentially gets to go to some level of heaven whether they're Mormon or not.
1: Right? Or whether they believe certain things, or whether they fulfill certain practices, or not. And so that this is the idea of uh, gen- sometimes it's uh, general salvation versus particular salvation, uh, or, in, or as I've put, we talked about it now. We've talked about immortality versus exaltation. Mm-hmm. So when sometimes, so this is like okay, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, then he broke the power they would say of. Death, so that everyone can be resurrected. That they—that's what they mean by immortality. They don't mean necessarily resurrected to, what what particular reward or what particular destination is meant by that, but resurrected to some kind of, uh, as we'll see later, some kind of some kind of reward.
0: Okay, so let's let's talk about a couple of quotes because we're not trying to put words in Mormons' mouths. Mm-hmm. And we talked last time, Ross, about the difference between folk Mormonism and and you know actual Mormonism, what they actually believe. Mm-hmm. And this is really not folk stuff. This no, is this what is, Mormons This
1: is standard. Yeah. This is all the quotes that we have are from um, standard LDS like lesson manuals and sources like that. Right.
0: Yeah. And here's one of those quotes: because of his atonement, talking about Jesus, everyone born on this earth will be resurrected. This condition is called immortality. So, this is where we get this from, right? It's straight from that.
1: Everyone, everyone. So, that's regardless of your belief, regardless whether
0: you have faith in Jesus, regardless of anything, right? Okay, here's another quote. To be, again, these are Mormon quotes, not not Bible quotes. To be saved, according to Mormons, to be saved or to gain salvation means to be saved from physical and spiritual death. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all people will be resurrected and saved from physical death. Right, and you see, you notice there he
1: makes a distinction between physical and spiritual death, and he's saying that this, this immortality or general salvation only applies to physical death. Now when it comes to spiritual death, uh, or as they would, I think, talk about, um, you know, being separated from God, or, or some kind, somehow what is your
0: spiritual eternal destiny, then that's a different story. Okay, so before we move <coughs> before we move on here, Ross, let me, let me ask you a question that comes to mind. This sounds a lot like universalism, mm-hmm. right? Is this in 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 a sense a universalistic perspective?
1: Yeah, it, it really is, and this is in a, If you think about it, this is a unique contribution of Joseph Smith, um, in the framework of of early nineteenth um, century. Christianity in America and all the different movements and going on there, um, that he was able to create a system that is both universal, universalistic, and particularistic. So he's got universalism on one hand, but as we'll see when we talk about um, exaltation, there's also a very particular approach to salvation, and somehow his system is able to balance or or to to combine both of those principles in one. In, in one concept.
0: Right. So so someone might say, this is great. It's the best of both worlds. It mm. it sort of covers everybody. But yet there's also, as we're going to see with exaltation, there's also like for the really the overachievers, there's something there for them. <laughs> there's something too. there for right. them. Yeah. So what's wrong with this, Ross? Well, um,
1: as far as it goes, it's it's correct as far as it goes. Mm. Okay. Because I think biblically we believe everybody will be resurrected. Mm. Now the difference is, biblically, um, we're going to see this in another podcast. We'll go into more detail on it, but biblically, the, the question is resurrected to what destiny? Right. That's the that's the difference. And
0: we're going to save those details for next time. But we're, when we talk about eternity, because yeah. Mormons believe, and this is this this is, connects to this first point, Mormons believe in three levels of heaven, right. and then they believe in outer darkness. Whereas biblical Christianity has a simpler. Yeah, more binary approach. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So so I guess the problem with this from our perspective, Ross, is it's not biblical. (laughs) Like it might it might help people. It might help me if I'm thinking about my kids who have rejected Jesus Mm -hmm. or something which they haven't, but let's say parents who have kids who've rejected Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that you're like, Hey, this is good. This is good because they're covered. They're they're covered. You know, they're covered, they're gonna be resurrected. So there's something about this that even in in modern Christianity, there's some undertones of this, you know, mm-hmm. love wins and right. and kind of the the prosperity right. gospel type stuff. It's like, like we're gonna, it's like your best life now, right? Yeah, God's yeah. gonna give you your best life now, and He's gonna give you your best life then. Like He's not mean. He's not gonna. You're not right. gonna go to
1: hell. Right. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay. So that's again more on that next week. But that is immortality. That's the immortality part of salvation. But When Mormons talk about salvation, they also talk about the second thing, which is called exaltation. And this is very, very... If the immortality perspective is different enough from biblical Christianity, the exaltation thing is way different. Very different, yeah. So Mormons believe that exaltation is limited to those who keep all the requirements. So immortality is for everybody, but exaltation is just for the uh,
1: overachievers. Right, for the people who live up to all the ordinances and, and regulations and so forth. By the way, and, um, in the Latter-day Saint uh, th- thought about this, uh, another way that this is referred to is sometimes they'll talk about eternal life. Hmm. And so that becomes even more confusing. When you use the word salvation or immortality on one hand to mean one thing, and you use the word eternal life to mean something completely different, that could be very confusing in a conversation. So
0: you're saying eternal life for an LDS person, they're referring to exaltation? Absolutely.
1: okay. Yep.
0: Okay, so let's read some quotes again, straight from Mormon literature, a couple of quotes as you explain this to us, Russ. People may also be saved from individual spiritual death through the atonement of Jesus Christ by their faith in Him, by living in obedience to the laws and ordinances of His gospel, and by serving him, to be... Again, this is Mormon doctrine. This is not biblical stuff, but they this is what they say. To be exalted, or to gain exaltation, refers to the highest state of happiness and glory in the celestial realm. Right.
1: So, in other words, um, this is the peak. This is the pinnacle. And it's not available to everybody. So sometimes when I'm talking to an LDS person, it's helpful to... C- to clarify, what, what are we talking about? When we're talking about salvation, when I use that word, I'm already thinking about what is God's highest and best destiny for a human being. But an LDS person is not thinking about that unless you use the word eternal life or exaltation. I'm not going to use the word exaltation because of all the things that it connotes. They're not biblical. It's not a biblical term. So sometimes to we'll try to find the common ground or try to, to talk about... To make sure we're talking about apples and to apples, right? Mm-hmm. Then we'll, I'll say, all right, what is your idea of what is God's highest, best destiny for human beings after this life? Mm-hmm. And what does it take to be
0: able to experience that? And and the Mormon answer to that is vastly different mm-hmm. than the biblical answer, mm-hmm. and again, we'll get into this more next week when we talk about the different levels of heaven and and the problem that we have with that Ross biblically right. and I have by the way, I have a big problem with this because again what it to me what it does is it's all about the man right it's elevating the individual it's elevate it's elevating the human being which is a which is a big problem to me but anyway, I don't want to jump into that just yet i I want to do at least maybe maybe make sure that we're answering the biblical objection to this. So mm-hmm. the Bible... So again, Mormons envision these the, sort of these two different types of salvation, the one that is general for everybody, very universalistic, mm-hmm. everyone is going to be in some level of heaven, except for the really, really bad people, right? right? And then and then number two, some people are going to be exalted and become their own gods. We'll get into that next mm-hmm. week. But what is the biblical perspective on salvation?
1: Well, well first, let, let's back up for just one second to answer that. Uh, um, appropriately, because I'll, I'm going to break this quote down for just a minute to make sure we un- our, our listeners understand the conditionality of it. Mm. So first of all, he talks about, uh, it, this is possible through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Well, well, we'll talk about that in just a minute, what the role of Jesus is, but, but it's not simply through the atonement of Jesus Christ, it's through the atonement, he says, by their faith in him, okay, so far so good, we understand faith differently and so forth, but nevertheless, but then he says, but then he adds, oh, also, by living in obedience to the laws and ordinances of the Gospel, and by serving Him. Hmm. And, so, and so this only applies, like you said, to the high, high achievers, but what does that mean? There's, there's, a, there's so many laws that, laws are the regulations, the requirements of how you're supposed to live. Law of tithing, law of chastity, law of whatever, there's a whole bunch of lists that Mormonism has. But also ordinances. Ordinances are the rituals that you need to perform, that includes baptism, temple marriage, um, you know, other things along the way. And so you see, um, so what's really central here in trying to try and understand the difference between the LDS view and the biblical view is all of these extra things that are added, and, but, but that's not just it, it's how those things then diminish the role of Jesus. So you mentioned earlier that you know the, uh, the role of Jesus is is central in salvation. Mm-hmm. And so it's in Mor- in Mormonism Jesus is an important player. They salvation can't happen without him, but it's like what Jesus does and then it's what also what you have to mm-hmm. do, right? So that sets us up to understand Um, the difference between what the Bible says. So there's only one salvation in the Bible. Like we said, that, that one word, there's different elements of it, different aspects of it, as I mentioned, but there aren't different kinds of salvation that apply to different kinds of people. And we'll dig into the biblical perspective more as we unfold the Mormon perspective. But to begin with, so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Because there's only one gate, you know. There's only one gate, one pathway, one ultimate destiny for, uh, that could be called salvation. There's mm-hmm. only one highest and best thing that God has for humanity.
0: Yeah, and, and Scripture is very consistent. For people who are listening to this who maybe don't know the Bible very well, uh, I would, first of all, encourage you to read the Bible, whether you're a Mormon trying to wrap your mind around this, or you're thinking about leaving Mormonism, or whether you're a Christian trying to to help a Mormon, or maybe you're just listening because you're an inquiring mind who wants to know, I would encourage you to really read Scripture, and you'll see that Scripture is very consistent. Like, a lot of these quotes that we're reading, Ross, are Mormon- sources, and they do not sound like Scripture at all. But if you're not aware of Scripture, you might be sort of be fooled into thinking, yeah. oh, that sounds good, okay, that sounds authoritative, and... Right, and they use the words, yeah,
1: some of the same words, yeah, like we've said.
0: And, and all that leads to the second thing about salvation, and this is... Um, you know, for us in, at our church, Ross, this is so central to what we preach week in and week out, Every every single week at our church, it's all about Jesus. In fact, we have Mormons people coming out of Mormonism that come to our church, and the number one thing that they say to me after their first time at Alpine is, I learned more about Jesus today than I have in a lifetime in the Mormon church, and it's Mm -hmm. because what I'm about to say is something that we preach, we try to preach every single week. It's in our worship songs every week. It is, and the reason is because it's all over the Bible. It's so scriptural. Mm -hmm. So we believe, Christians believe, that people are saved by grace plus nothing, mm-hmm. Mormons believe that people are saved by grace plus obedience. So let's first of all talk about what we mean by, gr- what Christians mean by grace, and then what, what do Mormons believe by grace plus obedience?
1: Right. So a lot of times in the past, Mormonism has been characterized as a works-based religion, which in which it really is. Mormons have taken issue with that. They say, no, no, grace is really important to us, but, as we'll see, when you boil it all down, you know, it's still, it's still a works-based religion because they want to have grace plus works. So biblically, the, the idea of grace is unmerited favor. It's something that God does that we did not deserve. It, it's just like uh, a gift. It, it's, the word is closely related to the word gift. And, and in Mormonism, grace is more like a, an enabling power that God gives us to be able to accomplish something that we're supposed to hmm. do. So he, so he kind of comes along and helps us. So I use the analogy of, like, if you're drowning in the middle of the, of the ocean, your boat falls apart, somebody comes up in another boat and, and offers to save you. Okay, well, what, that, what does that mean? Well, the, 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 in, in the LDS idea, it's like that the Savior is maybe will jump in the water beside you and show you how to swim. And maybe, you know, you could swim side by side to shore or whatever. The biblical idea of the Savior: is somebody's going to just throw you a line and you and just pull you right out of the water and and take you to shore. Mm. And so, so the idea is that in the LDS idea of grace is that okay, somebody's going to help you do what you need to do. Mm. The biblical idea of grace is somebody's going to do what you can't do, mm. right? So that that's. Um, that's an important word to understand that distinction I
0: think. Well, I love that analogy because anyone who's been a lifeguard knows that the way you save someone from drowning is you have to get them in a position where they can't try to help. Right, exactly. Right? <laughs> right. Because the the reason they're drowning is cuz they need help, but if you don't if you don't immediately get behind them and get in a place where you're the one helping them and they just need to just go along for the ride then yeah. they could they could pull both of you d- right. b- both of you down yeah. okay so uh, and i think mormon scripture gives a really really clear uh, articulates their idea of this very clearly in second nephi 25 in verse 23 it says this again this is mormon scripture this isn't the bible it says for we labor diligently to write to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in christ and to be reconciled to God, and we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do." Now, so much of that sounded biblical. Right, it's the last five words. That's right. Yeah. So so that's a good way to say it is, Mormons believe that we're saved by grace after all we can do. You gotta do your part. And then,
1: I'll say, that's totally true in one condition.
0: That all I can do is nothing. If all I can do <laughs> yeah. is
1: nothing, well then, then this becomes very that's true. Right. right.
0: Well that's why we like to say the, the the math equation for this is Jesus plus nothing. And that's that's an that is a very specific, that's a scientific statement that we mean that yeah. like Jesus plus nothing. There literally is nothing you can do to save yourself. And again, I think some people, Mormons and otherwise, even just Americans, might say, "Ah, that just doesn't sound right. So, like, I can't do anything to contribute. I can't help it out at all. I can't, that doesn't ring true, I think, especially to Americans, which is why I think Mormonism appeals so much to Americans. And it really is the first American born religion. It is kind of a pull yourself up by the bootstraps it's a little bit of the best of both worlds, like, I'm still mm-hmm. gonna talk about Jesus, we even have it in yeah. the name of our Church, but, but you gotta do your part, son, right? You better yeah. work hard.
1: Yeah, right? definitely. I mean, if you think about the historical context, the frontier of America, you had the pioneers, pioneer people moving westward, settling new lands, um, and so really there was this sense in American culture of manifest destiny that it was, our, it was your destiny to become great, and, and, and ultimately, this is, this is that same impulse that we're going to conquer this land, we're going to, you know, uh, make it work for ourselves, that we're going to make ourselves prosperous. This is the same impulse translated to a spiritual scale or to an eternal kind of um, in dimension.
0: And that's where, I be- that's where we believe it's dangerous, because we, ag- we agree. I mean, Paul even mm-hmm. says in Scripture, he says, if you don't, if you don't work, you don't eat, so there is a yeah. sense of in the physical world that you should pull your weight, you should do your thing. You know, we believe in that, taking ownership for stuff. But there's a different there's a different rule that governs the spiritual realm, and the reason for that is because you can't pull your weight. You're I love how Paul says it in in uh, Romans. He says Abraham, his body was as good as dead. He was a hundred years yeah. old. Yeah. God had given him a promise about an heir, and and he didn't have any. He didn't. Well, he, he had a son at that point, but it was a son that he worked for, Ishmael, that he kind of took things into his own hands, which is a good metaphor for Mormonism. Yeah, totally, yeah. That God promises something to Abraham in his old age, and so he says, well, it must not be with my wife, Sarah, so he takes his her maidservant... And, and that's, a, that's an example, Paul explains this in the New Testament, that's an example of working for your salvation right. instead of receiving the promise by right. faith. And then 25 years later, Abraham, God comes to Abraham and says, okay, now I'm going to give you the child of the promise. And then it's Isaac and he's born. Ab- Abraham's like 100 and Sarah's 90 years old. Right. And Paul, the way Paul interprets that in the New Testament is when Abraham's body was as good as dead, like literally he was dead. And dead people can't do anything. And that's a good way to think about it. Is you're dead in your sins. We right. talked about this last week. You're dead in your sins. And because of that, a, you know, B follows A. If you're dead in your sins, then it must truly be grace plus nothing.
1: Right. Exactly. And so, yeah, so God interestingly God with Abraham, you know, waited until it could it could not be ascribed to any other agency mm-hmm. except for God's own action. And we'll we'll talk about it in a minute uh the role of good works in the Christian life, but suffice it to say for now that it, it's not, it does not contribute to our, our right relationship with God.
0: Yeah, let's l- read one more article of faith from Mormonism, article of faith number three. Again, this is Mormon, Mormon documentation, not biblical. It says, we believe that through the Atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. So again, it's yeah. kind of like this, they're going to put a little bit out there. It's it is about the aton- it is about Jesus what he did on the cross. There, that's important, that's mm-hmm. valuable, but right. But it it's not ultimate because right. because you have to you have to add to it your obedience to the laws and ordinances of yeah, the gospel. Yeah,
1: I look at it like this. I've tried to explain it with this kind of analogy to help people understand how the Mormon mind might think that um, you know, inside there's inside a garden behind a wall and a big gate. There's a ladder. The ladder leads up to you know whatever you can, blessing you want to think about. It leads to your to riches. Okay, let's say, um, but you can't get in the lot la- You can't get in behind that gate. You can't open that ladder. Only Jesus could open the gate. That's the that's the atonement. The atonement is in sense then a precondition. Mm-hmm. So that, because through Jesus' atonement, it gives me access to the ladder that I have to climb. It, it's not saying that Jesus just takes me and puts me in that room mm. where all the blessing and riches, whatever is, you envision is up there. But, um, no, Jesus unlocks the gate that gives me access to the ladder so that then I can do, like it says, um, all, um, I can obey all the laws and ordinances from mm. that point on.
0: Yeah. Ross, I remember years back you gave another, and I think this might be what Mormons actually use as well. This is a, a kind of an example that they use to explain this to people. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but it has to do with like a, a bike shop. You come into a bike shop yeah. with your dad, and you want to buy that bike.
1: It's a bicycle. It's a famous. It is, and, and so, so this guy. Uh, it's the the idea that um, you're a parent, and you want your kid to have a bike, and you're going to you're going to you know. Help your kid get the bike. You're gonna know, bless the kid with the bike, whatever. But you tell your child, "I need you to save up all the money you can, and and then I'll and then we'll we'll then I'll go buy you the bike." And so they're trying to establish that you know that the eight-year-old kid is only gonna be able to save up 35 cents mm-hmm. or a couple of bucks or whatever, and and you're gonna go in and buy the bike for you're gonna put down the 250. Uh, and so their contribution is minimal. Compared to yours, and so isn't that how wonderful, how gracious you are? Mm. But I always thought to myself, I thought, you know, when my kid needed a bike, I just bought their bike, like I gave my kid a bike for Christmas. Okay, and I didn't say, okay, you can't have your Christmas present until you've, you know, bought the wrapping paper or something mm. like that. You mm. know, um, so the point is that it's not a gift, and if if, if it costs anything, it's not a gift. Mm. That that by definition. If I have to pay one percent or one one hundredth of one percent of what that gift is worth, it's 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 essentially no longer a gift. And the Bible talks about that, and we'll look at that in just a second.
0: But but uh, you know, again, I can hear somebody saying, but but my dad wanted me to work for it. Sure. So my in, so I think this is why it appeals to so many people is they they it appeals to your sense of contributing. -hmm. To this, I don't, I don't, I'm not that desperate that I need a complete gift. Right. But I appreciate that a good father in heaven wants to teach me to take ownership for stuff. And so again, I I can understand how some, I really can't understand how Mm -hmm. this message would appeal to people. The pro here's my main problem with it, and really, and I want to say this to any Mormon who's listening, my main problem, it's not that it doesn't make sense to my human mind. Right. It's not that it doesn't make sense to me as a dad. The main problem I have with it is it's not biblical. Right.
1: Absolutely. That's the bottom line. It does make sense on some levels. You know, as a parent, yeah, I want my kids to develop industry, mm-hmm. work hard, and and, and and understand the value of money and the rewards of working hard and so forth, mm-hmm. but I also want to
0: give them gifts. So I don't... But I, it's a good idea not to mix the two. Well, yeah, and let's just... So again, let's just look at some Scripture, just a few... And we, we could spend the next couple hours on Scripture, but let's just share a few for people. Again, for people who aren't convinced yet that that this Mormon concept is in Biblical. Here's what the Bible says. Romans 6.23. Ross explained this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord.
1: Yeah, what, so what, what sin pays out is death. But you, so what you earn by your sin is mm-hmm. death. Mm-hmm. But he said the alternative of death is eternal life. So spiritual death, eternal life, um, is, it says, a free gift. Period. It's a free gift. So f- to be forgiven of our sins, to spend eternity in God's presence is not based on what we bring to the table or what worthiness we can establish, but it's a gift. Now, it's not like, okay, it, it doesn't mean that it's, it's, it's a gift somebody paid for the gift. Mm-hmm, right. like, like as a parent, I pay, or whatever, somebody paid for the gift. And, then, and so the, when we say that salvation is free, a free gift, it's, it's free for you, But it wasn't free for jesus because he paid the price that's the whole point of the cross he paid the penalty for our sin so that the gift could be given to us Mm. freely by god and so that it's interesting they use the term eternal life the bible talks about eternal life which in again in mormon thinking would be exaltation and it says quite clearly that
0: that it is a free gift period Mm. right yeah and and Paul expands on it later in Romans 11, 6. He says, And since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. I mean, those are offensive words. Undeserved. Yeah. God's grace is undeserved. I could see a Pharisee, you know, a religious leader, uh, the religious elite. And maybe this is what happens in Mormon churches with some people. I'm sure not with everybody. But I think some people probably have this sense that they've deserved this. Right. They're working for it. Right. They're, they're hard. They're hardworking. They're yeah. better than that other guy. Yeah, and they have. Maybe they have worked really hard and
1: put forth a lot of effort. But um, and maybe they deserve something for that. Hmm. But what? But it's they don't deserve eternity in God's presence for that right. because God is perfect and God is holy. But the thing about Romans eleven six that I think really speaks to this issue. He says, um, it's through kindness, not by good works. If that was the case, grace would not be what it really is. So in other other translations, it says that grace would not be grace. In other words, he's setting up a fundamental distinction between grace and works. And the minute you add any kind of works, grace is not grace. Like I said before, if you, as soon as you pay one penny, a gift is not really a gift. Mm. I, but just simply by definition, the two are mutually exclusive. Mm. He's trying to say they're mutually exclusive. So I use this, my daughter's a vegan. And so um, if, she, if I was to walk in one day and I found her you know, eating a hamburger, she could not call herself a vegan. <laughs> because that is, is by definition eating meat and other things, and being vegan are mutually exclusive. Mm. You can't say, I'm a vegan, except for when I eat meat. You <laughs> right. say, no, I'm not a vegan. So you yeah. can't say, well, it's by grace, except for when good works are necessary. Mm. Well, it completely negates the whole
0: idea of grace. Mm. That's good. All right, one more scripture, and this is probably the most famous one. People, hopefully people have heard this one, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. God saved you by His grace, When you believed, and punctuation is important here. There's a period there. Yeah. Not after all you can do. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed and mm-hmm. The guy who wrote this is Paul, and Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a guy who, before he became a Christian, before he met Jesus, he was a guy who was working for yeah. his salvation and felt pretty proud of himself, and then he met Jesus, and these are the kinds of lessons he right. learned. T- totally
1: changed his perspective. You could see that if you were
0: to go look at Philippians chapter 3, for yeah. example. And he says, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. He goes on, verse 9, salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so, no one can boast about it. So again, that's Ephesians two eight and nine. And I want to to me, that just really drives home what we've been saying here. Yep. but i want to I want to point out, and you mentioned this, Ross, I want to point out verse ten because a Mormon might, a Mormon might hear what we're saying, Ross, and they might say, "Then what we're saying is God doesn't care how you act. Right. You can just go live however you want, or right.
1: just pray a prayer of grace. Blah blah blah. You know. But that, but that's not biblical, and and it's also not what we're saying. Exactly.
0: Right? And so, and I want. I think Christians need to hear this because Mor- Ross, we live in Utah, and we we know that the one of the things that that mormons learn about christians is that they use grace as a license to sin. Yeah. Is that they say look, you you believe you're saved by grace and so then you guys just go live lives however you want and you're just you're not you don't tithe, you don't go to church very much, you don't you know, you you go carousing on the weekends and all this kind of stuff. But I want I want you to hear what it says right after Paul says all this in verses 8 and 9 about the gift and grace and you can't take credit for it. He says this in verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. He's done all the work. He has created us anew anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so we see, it's just, to me, that's just such a perfect example of what Christians believe. We are saved by grace, period. Jesus plus nothing. But the reason he did it is so that now we can go on and live this new life.
1: Right, Right. so the result of being saved is not just forgiveness of our sins. Part of salvation is forgiveness of our sins, but also another part of salvation is that we become a new creation, that we've been given this new life by Christ. It's like the Bible talks about a new birth. And so as we become new people, then we, we start to live a new way, not in order to gain something from God, but it's the natural result of that transformational work that we call salvation.
0: Yeah, and I, I, so I think to clarify that, I always like to tell people it's the fruit of salvation, mm-hmm. just so they don't get confused, that you think that your salvation has to do with your works. Like, you were... Say, when, you know, we, the way we say it in our Pursuit series at PursuitGod.org is we say that, that we start a relationship with God by trusting Jesus, mm-hmm. by faith. That's grace, period. But then the next thing is now we live our lives to honor God. And so baptism's a good example of that. We don't believe baptism... The Bible doesn't teach that baptism is required for you to be Mm -hmm. saved, but you should get baptized. It's like the easiest, it's like the lowest hanging fruit in terms of practical things that you can do now that you're a Christian. Well, you should get baptized because Jesus said so. But when you get baptized, it doesn't save you any more or any less. Right, it's like yeah. that's why the imagery that Jesus uses is being born again. When you're born into a family, what did you do for that? Yeah, exactly. You did nothing. nothing. You didn't nothing. do any. Yeah. You know, my kids. My, my we have two. Tracy and I have two kids. I did most of the work. That's a joke. <laughs> no, no, Tracy did most of the work. Right, but my kids did nothing. They did nothing to be born, right? And so their children. They were there are my there are children. And that's really that's really kind of the imagery that that Jesus uses is you must be born again, mm-hmm. and then when you're born again, th- what happens then is you you're in a family now, and you, because you you have a loving father, you you want to live this this life that honors your father, right. and that's the biblical understanding, right?
1: And just one more thought on Ephesians two eight through ten, where he says, you know, God saved you by His grace when you believed. Well, that that doesn't fit for either form of the LDS salvation, either the universal immortality or the particular um, exaltation. Because he says God saved you by his grace when you believed. So the Mormon immortality doesn't even require belief. It just requires that you're born as a human being. Boom. Mm. Mm. But, but then he says you can't take credit for this. It's a gift. It's not by works, not based on anything we've done. So it can't be, he can't be talking about the Mormon idea of exaltation. So so Ephesians 2 uh, doesn't work for either form of Mormon salvation. Mm. Um, so, like, what is he talking about? He's not talking
0: about that. He's not talking about this. So it's a completely different thing, right? Oh, that's good. And one more thing I want to say about it, because, again, Mormons say—and and I don't disagree that, that this isn't true for many Christians—but Mormons say Christians use grace as a license to sin, that the Christian doctrine of grace gives— Gives Christians a license to sin and live however, however they want to. And I know a lot of people do take it like that. A lot of Christians, which is wrong. But actually, Mormonism, I think Mormonism gives me more of a license to sin because what, there's no there's no hell really. Some
1: heaven is guaranteed yeah, for everybody, like, right? Yeah.
0: Like I've always been a little confused by that. When people say that, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, and by the way, we know my kids had lots of Mormon friends who just. Did not live godly lives. Right. They just
1: did it um, ups, under the under the radar, right? Yeah. yeah,
0: and 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 I'm and I'm not surprised by that because because again, Mormon the Mormon understanding universalism is a license to sin. This idea that we're all fine, that yeah. we're all fine. Yeah. It's gonna it all work out in the end. And God's not that mean, and there's no such thing as judgment really. Not like really, yeah. So so to me, Mormonism, I've always believed that Mormonism even opens up more of a door. Um, for a license to sin again, not that that disproves Mormonism, right? But I do think that that's an interesting, an interesting insight. And you know that'd be a great topic to that we'll, co- we'll cover somewhere in
1: the future on our podcast about that whole question yeah. about does grace give license to sin? Because the Bible does actually say quite a bit about that,
0: right? Yeah. Okay. Ross, we have one more thing. This has been a great episode, but we have one more thing to talk about in regards to the Mormon perspective on salvation. So we've we've already talked about this idea that salvation means a couple of things to them, the immortality part and then the exaltation part, which is very different than biblical Christianity. We talked about the idea that Mormons believe that that salvation is a combination of grace plus works, but there's one more thing that I think... Both Mormons and Christians have to understand when it comes to the difference between Mormonism and biblical Christianity on the topic of salvation, and it's this. Mormons believe that there's a second chance for salvation in the next life. In other words, that you know Christians believe that you, you die, mm-hmm. and then you face judgment. Right. But Mormons believe something else. And again, this is something to me that I want to be true.
1: Yeah, it, it would be great. It would be comforting to know that... Right. You know, your, your dead loved ones who never confessed Christ in this life would have another chance in the next life. That would be, that would be comforting, but it's not biblical. <laughs> right, right? Well, so, well, we, we, we keep, keep coming, coming up back against, to that, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so, so the, Mormons, the Mormon source here says, Between the death and the resurrection of the physical body, the Spirit lives in a spirit world and has the opportunity to continue to progress, to progress toward perfection. Jesus Christ initiated the preaching of the gospel to those in spirit prison. Many in the spirit world anxiously
0: await the blessings of gospel
1: ordinances.
0: All right. Oh, this just gets me fired up again, Ross, because here, here's the problem that I have with this. And again, for people who are new to this idea, the, the problem, it, it kind of just keeps coming back to what I mentioned earlier, that what's happening here is it's, it's taking Jesus down Yeah and it's yep. elevating people exactly so 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 first of all it's it's this idea that look look if you're a good mormon you'll take care of these ordinances for yourself while right. you're here yep. on earth which that, is
1: we're talking about baptism temple marriage stuff like that yeah
0: stuff that happens in the temple we'll do more podcasts mm-hmm. on this yep. cuz people probably really want to know mm-hmm. what happens in the temple by the way there's a difference between a temple an award building where, where where Mormons meet for church. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, a lot of people don't yeah. even know that. We'll cover that later. Yeah. But w- what we're talking about here is this idea that salvation is Jesus plus works, right? For Mormons, mm-hmm. that's what they believe. Mm-hmm. It's what Jesus did on the cross. The atonement ha- plays a part, but then what you do for yourself plays a part. And what they're saying here is one step more her- further into heresy, if you ask me, because they're saying. If you didn't do it while you were on earth for yourself, that's okay. Someone else will do it for you right A temple worthy Mormon will do it for you. Explain that.
1: Yeah, Joseph Smith said that one of the the, the purposes that one of the strongest purposes of of the the restored church Mormonism is to redeem the dead and so these proxy ordinances. This is why Mormons do genealogy so much, by the way. They're so into genealogy because they want to find the names of people who have died so that they can go into the temple and perform those ordinances by proxy for them. Now, it's, then it's up to the person sitting in spirit. they call spirit prison, sitting up in the spirit world, then has to accept that, and once they accept it, then it is counted to their... It's it's like put on their ledger, and they get credit for it. Mm. Somebody else did it for them. And so the idea is that all these people are awaiting the ordinances that they never had a chance to get when they were in this world because Mormonism hadn't been revealed, or, or they lived somewhere where there wasn't a temple, mm. or whatever it might be, and they're just waiting for some faithful Latter-day Saint to do the work for them so they can accept it and then you know have a better...
0: Um, Heaven in the future. Okay, so I'm biting my tongue here, but because I want to get to a real practical... On a practical level, Ross, for someone who's never been into a temple, just real quick, on a practical level, what does this look like? Because we're talking about a temple-worthy Mormon, mm-hmm. and a lot of times these are like high schoolers, college-age kids, or, you know, folks who are retired and do this like on a regular basis, right, right? right? But what does that
1: look like? Yeah, so, for example, a temple, Mormons consider it to be sacred, we would consider it to be secretive, um, but anyway, you have to be worthy to go into the temple, because they view it as a holy, very holy place. Worthy means you have to live up to all the ordinances and commands and, and all the rest. Um, it's established by an interview with your, with, your, uh, with your superior in the Mormon Church, and so they go in. If you're a young person, uh, teen, teens and so forth are, can be baptized on behalf of other, other people who have died. And so you go in, and maybe a group of teens, and they just baptize you one after another, boom, one, and then they'll say the name of the person I baptize you in the name of on behalf of so-and-so, and then they dunk them. And then they give them the, the next ordinance is receiving the, the Holy Spirit by laying on of hands, they give them that as well. And they just keep going around in the, in the circle, taking their turn. They might be baptized for many dozens of people in a given day. And the same thing is true for uh, adults who have been through the um, what's called the endowment ceremony. They can receive the endowment ceremony and proxy for someone else who's died, and then they can be married for uh, a, a couple, husband and wife, could go to the temple and stand in a proxy marriage for their great-great-grandparents or, or really for anybody um, whose name is revealed in genealogy.
0: Okay, so let's, let's talk... Yeah, that's... And I remember I, w- I recently went through a temple. You can go through temples now before they yeah dedicate they did, the temple. yeah yeah so non mormons can go through and get a little tour and i got to see the baptistry the baptism mm-hmm. font and and there were i don't know hundreds of seats mm-hmm. around that i think yeah, it was a quite pretty a few yeah and and what i understood was that all that you're if if you're going with a bunch of your friends or with your parents if you're all temple worthy and you're sitting there waiting for your turn to be baptized mm-hmm. for, for this person that you did some genealogical research on, I guess. Like, yeah. My understanding is they're encouraged to even do the research and come up with and, names. And, and do it for the names of the people they discovered. Yeah. Although if you just want to go in the temple, um, they've got a list of names
1: Yeah. not do you, whether you found those names or not yourself.
0: And again, again, let me just let me try to talk about this. I'm trying to like take away my biblical mind, which is hard for me to do, and try to understand this from the vantage point of a of a new mormon or even a longtime mormon mm-hmm. to me ross there's something about this that would be in, incredibly gratifying to think i could do such an important thing for somebody yeah. who did who missed out on this like i could do so so I'm, like we all want to leave a legacy Right? Everyone wants to leave a legacy. So I could see how appealing this would be to say, this is the ultimate thing I could do for another person. Mm-hmm. And all of that is fine and, and good psychologically. It is so offensive to God. It is yeah. so not biblical to say, I, not that Jesus can save you, I can save I you. I can
1: save you. Now, now there is there is where you're headed, I think, it is there is a connection... Where the baptism uh, by pro- or the proxy ordinances actually can be a, a way to help Latter-day Saints understand the gospel. Hmm. Because he- here's the thing, so if you think about the biblical doctrine of imputation, that my sins are imputed to Christ, he, in other words, he takes on my sins for himself, on himself, on the cross, and his righteousness is imputed to me. So therefore, I am forgiven, But I'm also given positive righteousness. Jesus' righteousness is given to me. I didn't do anything to earn it. I'm just, you know, and I only can receive it by faith. Well, in the whole proxy ordinance thing in Mormonism, you have a person who's in the spirit world. Someone else does for them what they cannot do themselves. And that ordinance is imputed to them. It's simply up to them to accept it or reject it. Hmm. So this is the best analogy of, the, of what Christ has done for us that, that really that Mormonism has in mm. it. says as, as a connection to help a Mormon person understand, wait, wait, you're saying that all you have to do, that, that you couldn't do mm. the ordinance, because mm. you died or whenever, um, and all you have to do is someone else do it for you, and you say yes to that, whoa wait isn't that just what Jesus did right right oh, and so so this idea of proxy ordinances gives us a gives us a an analogy that might actually help a Mormon person understand the gospel. Oh
0: that's good but the obviously the key difference and I want you to hear this if you're a Mormon listening to this the key difference is there's only one person who can do this and it's Jesus Christ right That's what the Bible says it's not, you, you, your your grandpa can't do it for you, your great-grandpa couldn't do it for you, right. you can't do it for your grandkids. So uh, that's a good point, Ross, that this, this becomes an analogy for a Mormon who's done it. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes, if you're listening and you're a Mormon, that the Holy Spirit would really open... I mean, really, that's our hope with these podcasts, Ross, is that we're trying not, even though I, I, sometimes I can't hold it in, but we're trying not to be offensive to Mormons, we're trying not to pick fights with Mormons, we're just trying to help Mormons really... Really think about this more biblically, because I know Mormons have the Bible as part of their scripture, so read the Bible. I pray that you would, and I know many Mormons who have come to faith in Jesus by reading the Bible and saying, wait a second, this isn't biblical. This isn't... The stuff that I've been learning isn't... It's so hard to do that, I would imagine, Ross, for someone who have grown up in this and to be able to sort of take a step outside of everything they've ever learned and really evaluate what they've gone through, if you've ever done this in the temple, if you've mm-hmm. ever done a baptism for somebody. And I would just encourage you to really consider that it, that you are, you are trying to assume a role that only Jesus right. can assume for
1: us. exactly. That's key. That's so key.
0: So here's what the Bible teaches. Okay, so, so Mormons teach that there is a second chance for salvation in the next life. Catholicism has a version of this as well with purgatory. But here's what biblical Christianity teaches. It's that that any decision that we made that has an impact on our eternity happens on this earth while we're alive. There's no second chance after death. Hebrews 9.27 in the New Testament, it says, each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Russ, again, I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish the Mormon thing was true, but... But we don't get to make up our religion, right? We have to see what Scripture says, and this is clearly yeah, what Scripture yeah, absolutely. says. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I, there's not a lot more to say about that. But you, but you did, did identify the emotive appeal of this. Mm-hmm. It would be we would, and this is one of the things that people coming out of Mormonism have often struggled with: is having to give up that hope that they that they had invested in for people that you know their loved ones who've died.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that's what Mormons believe about salvation. If you want to talk about this or share this with a friend or with a family member or in a small group, or if maybe you're mentoring someone through this topic, you can find all these resources and discussion questions that go along with all of it at PursueGod.org slash Mormonism. And make sure to join us next week because we're going to be wrapping up this five week series on what Mormons believe. And we've already mentioned it, Ross, but we're going to talk next week about what Mormons believe about eternity. We'll talk about heaven, hell, and everything in between. Join us. <laughs> yeah. Hey listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.